0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. We owe very many of our troubles to what we can call broken rememberers. God has made you able to remember. You have a brain with a memory in it. It didn't have to be that way, but that's the way it is. Of course, that's practically useful in your life. But you know that your rememberer can actually cause you quite a number of problems. It malfunctions, so to speak. You see this, for example, when you become obsessed with your own sinful past. Let's say that you have placed your faith in Christ alone for your salvation, and He has washed you clean. In terms of how God sees you, you are innocent, as innocent as Christ who was without sin. Why then do you lie awake at night before you go to bed, remembering over and over the evils and the darknesses of your past before you knew Christ, or maybe after you came to know Christ and backslid. There are sins that play over and over in your mind and leave you with a sense of immense guilt. So scripture says, pointing at you, innocent, but your rememberer is working in such a way that you think, guilty, guilty, guilty. This isn't a problem only with your rememberer because... If you recall, in Scripture, Paul had to say, one thing I do. Paul, who was Saul, killer of Christians, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That's a conscious choice on his part. When your memory goes haywire. Or again, your memory might not be betraying you by your focus on your own failures, but rather your focus on the failures of others. Other people. The ways that you have been wronged. So you lie there at night trying to go to sleep, and you're rehearsing in your mind how someone has hurt you deeply. This could be decades ago or in most more recent history, but you are obsessed, and you almost can't tear away your rememberer from remembering over and over, and it's such an odd thing. It's like a self-whipping because you think of how you were hurt. It pains you all afresh. Naturally, as creatures, we tend to turn away from pain, but this is one that you come back to again and again. You replay that tape over and over. You say, more pain, please, and you do it again. No benefit to it, but you understand that experience. So our rememberers that God has given us can go haywire and often do. We can use them in fruitless ways. But God did give us these memories, the capacity to remember although we're misusing it often in this fallen world, he gave it to us for a good reason. Not so that you would remember over and over your failures in the past. Not so you would remember over and over the failures of others in the past, but so that you would remember the successes of God in the past. That is why you have a memory. It's one of the key reasons that you have a memory I will remember the deeds of the Lord, sang Asaph with God's people. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Imagine this if you were to go to sleep at night and take that same obsessiveness with which you think of wrongs and bads and fears and anxieties, and you take that and attach it instead, as we ought, to all of the wondrous works of God. God both in history more broadly and in your own history more narrowly, all that God has done in your life, you would be like an old man on his porch reminiscing about his wedding day. You would turn an experience of icy chilliness into a fireside warmth. That's what your capacity to remember is for to remember the great and the glorious deeds of God and to be warmed by that fire, to have a sense of awe that comes. Of course, when God acts in front of you, there is awe, but you've been given a memory so that in between, when you're not seeing God's hand as clearly, you remember back to when you saw it and still have a sense of awe so that you have 24-7 opportunity for worship and reverence before a mighty God. That's what your memory is for. If your evenings looked that way, you wouldn't have to numb yourself with movies just to get to sleep because you'd have one playing in your mind with a lot of action in it, best love story you could ever imagine, wonderful plot. It's the great work of God in all of history. That's what your rememberer is for, to remember all that God has done. And if there's any passage in Scripture that speaks so clearly and directly to this rememberer that you have It may be the one we're looking at today. After some 20 low years of idolatry in the land of Israel, finally God's people under the leadership of the judge and prophet and priest Samuel have gathered at Mizpah. We saw that last week and there's a national renewal. They recommit themselves to God. They put away their idols. Their enemies, the Philistines, attack them. Because they're gathered at Mizpah, they cry out to God, and God thunders against the Philistines. And so God's people leave Mizpah westward, chasing their enemies who were supposed to slaughter them, chasing them westward. And we saw last week in verse 11, as far as below Beth We don't know where that is, but it's far west. So God delivered them, they expected to be destroyed. God did one of his mighty deeds. And so they set up a stone pillar called Ebenezer so that they would remember what God had done. Let's look at this, First Samuel 7. We are starting here, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone. And set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer. That means stone of help. For he said, till now, or to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places, then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. If you've read very much of the Old Testament, you know it's not uncommon for God's people to take a rock, or sometimes a pile of rocks, and set them up somewhere in order to remember, to remember God. To remember what God has done, to remember a covenant. So, we saw one just recently when God brought the ark back from captivity in Philistia, it came to the rock of Joshua that was in his field at Beth Shemesh. And we read back there that that rock where the ark came stands as a witness to this day whenever this was written. So, it remained, that rock remained as a witness to say, hey, God did something amazing here. He brought back the ark. Another famous example of this is when Jacob, fleeing from his brother's wrath, lays down, has a dream in the wilderness, and in his dream he sees a ladder stretching up to heaven with God at the top. When he wakes up, he takes the rock he had used as a pillow, an odd choice, but he takes that rock he had used as a pillow, and he set that up as a pillar to remember that this is God's house and he called that place Bethel the house of God it's to remember it makes sense even though we don't have this practice today we don't typically pile up rocks to remember something but it makes sense that they would do this back then because if you used almost anything else chances are that after a few generations it would rot it would decay someone would take it but if you pile up rocks there's a sort of permanence to rocks see that's meant to serve remembering into future generations. Those rocks are probably going to stay there. Everything else is going to go away, but the rocks are going to stay there. So that's why they would use it. And although we do not continue that practice today, this text is calling on us, as we'll see, to do something similar, to have a kind of Ebenezer in our own minds, to have a sort of heavy, weighty set of memories that you have stored up in your own mind and your own heart, that you can refer to, that point you back to the great things that God has done. If you want to live a rich, joyful Christian life, when all the winds and storms of trials come, you need some sturdy memories of the things that God has done. You need Ebenezer's stones of help, like we find here. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to look at this passage under three headings. One is, has God worked any victory in your past? Then you need to remember that He's done that. The second is, has God brought any peace into your life in the past? Then you need to remember that. And finally, has God brought any stability into your life at all? You need to remember God for that great work too. Let's begin with the victory, the victory that we have to remember. We see it in them in verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Like I said, we witnessed last week God's help. In the case of Mizpah, where they were attacked by the Philistines, God thundered against the Philistines, and then we saw verse 11, the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth And as I said, we don't know where beth was, but probably it's to the west. So they are up in the hilly region of Benjamin. They're, they're in Mizpah. The Philistines live on the coastal plain, but the Philistines have come up to attack. They drive them back. So wherever below Beth car is, it's that way toward the Mediterranean, westward from them. Now in verse 12, we see that Samuel sets up a stone pillar between Mizpah, where they were attacked, Mizpah, and a place called Shen. We don't know where Shen is either. Shen in Hebrew means tooth, and it's possible this isn't a city so much as a, maybe a rock outcropping or something that looks like a tooth sticking up. Who knows? But what we can almost say with confidence is that Shen is probably, similarly to below Beth Car, westward from Mizpah, up here where the attack happens. They drive them back to the coastal plain, and somewhere over here is Shen. And so the stone pillar is set up between Mizpah, where they were attacked, where the battle began... And all the way over here somewhere is Shen, and he sets up Ebenezer here, between those two. When he sets up Ebenezer, like I said, it means stone of help. It's a stone, that makes sense, of help because God helped them. That's the explanation. Till now the Lord has helped us, the Isvi says. Now, the Hebrew doesn't technically say till now. It says up to this point, basically. And up to this point can mean up to this point in time, that's how the ESV takes it, so till now. It could also mean up to this point geographically, in space, in location, meaning they drove them toward the coastal plain, and wherever below Beth-Kar is, wherever they drove them, they stopped eventually, right there to that point, that might be where they placed the Ebenezer. That probably is where they put the Ebenezer, put this stone. They were driving the Philistines down to the coastal plain, And as far as they went, below Bethkar, right there, boom, between Shen and Mizpah, right there they put the Ebenezer and say, to this point, God helped us. That doesn't mean that their saying doesn't have reference as well. I mean, often we use that saying, until now or to this point, the Lord has helped me to refer in our own lives to up to this point in time, God has helped me. That's true. It's true for them as well. Up to that point in Israel's history, God had been their help many times. So that's true, but I do think probably what's being said is up to this point where we drove the Philistines away, to that point God has helped us. They drove them there with God's help. And so Ebenezer could stand there for a long, long time so that even in future generations, children would look at that and say, why is there this big rock right here, this pillar? And the older generation could say, ah, that is where your grandfather had been at Mizpah, was attacked and almost destroyed with the entire nation. What happened? How did they not get destroyed by the great Philistines? God thundered against the Philistines and drove them right to where you're standing, right here. That was a great victory, and they did not want to forget that victory. Now, if you're in Christ, has God won any victory in your life, in your past? that you ought to remember? (laughs) The answer is yes, of course. The greatest of all victories was the victory that Christ won on Calvary, on the cross. That was a victory where He triumphed over all your spiritual foes who wanted you condemned forever. That's where He took the guilt that was yours because of your many sins, and He suffered the consequence of them That was, although, don't be fooled, you look at Christ upon the cross, it's a picture of weakness, but that is His greatest triumph, that and the resurrection that followed. But you know that as a Christian, when was the last time you really thought about the great victory Christ won on Calvary for you? Hopefully you can say very recently. We were singing worship, so maybe very recently, but besides today, starting yesterday, When was the last time you remembered in any practical and effectual way the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and what that means in your life? I mean, we literally live in a place where you can't drive far without seeing a steeple with a cross, a bumper sticker that's a cross, a t-shirt with a cross on it, a necklace with maybe it's your necklace looking in the mirror, and yet if you're anything like me, I can forget what Christ did on the cross for days at a time. And I'm a pastor. It's my job to teach what Christ did on the cross. But it's our default to forget the great victory Christ has won. And then we end up living our lives as if we're just defeated, weak Christians. You read the news and you see the enemy is winning. Bad things are happening. Those who don't feel Christ are taking over. You look at your own life. I can't overcome this sin. I'm a failure. I'm guilty. Was there no victory? oh, there was a victory. The problem is you forgot. You forgot there was a victory. You know what you need? You need an Ebenezer. You need to remember the victory that Christ has won. You need to remember it so vividly it stands not like a rock in front of you, but as if the cross were right in front of you. You need that degree of remembering. That is remembering by faith as if you were there Paul said when he preached Christ to some, it was as if he presented Christ as publicly crucified in front of you. That is a remembering by faith. That's what we need every day. That's what we need every week. We need that regularly to remember the victory that Christ has won. No, we were not gathered at Mizpah with Philistines around us. It was worse. Romans 5, 6 explains that. In the past... This is what you were, quote, while we were still weak. You were laden with guilt and sin, and you were too weak to do anything about it. You couldn't clear it. You couldn't get rid of it. There's nothing you could do. Hell loomed in front of you. There was no way to turn to the right or to the left. Then what happened? God thundered. It wasn't Samuel making an appeal on your behalf. It was Jesus Christ himself. It wasn't Samuel offering up a pure lamb. It was Jesus offering up himself as the pure lamb. There was a complete victory. God drove away the lusts that enslaved you as far as below Beth Car. He ripped up the bill of charges that were against you, no matter how long that receipt might have been. And he nailed it to the cross and he stamped it with paid in full. You remember that? Maybe you forgot that. You remember that? The day Christ emerged from his grave was a day of great victory. And 2,000 years later, when you put your trust in Christ, you took hold of that victory. It became your victory, the work that Christ had done for you. But you might be now living your life as though you're not winning at all, as though Christ never won anything. Maybe you're living your life now, and it seems like those same temptations you've always dealt with, they've conquered you. They win. You can't stop them. They're ruling your life. As a Christian, it might seem that way. You know what you need to do more than anything else? You need to remember. You need to reckon yourself as having died with Christ to your old way of life. That's remembering. You've got to remember that. Maybe you're living like a defeated state. Maybe you're living as though you feel incredibly guilty and unclean in the sight of heaven. You're not. Why are you living that way? Because you've forgotten. You have to remember what Christ has done. It's not as far as below Beth Car that Christ has driven your sin and your guilt away from you. It is as far as the east is from the west. That is where we set our Ebenezer. As far away as possible, Scripture says, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So God has won a great, the greatest victory for you, but you have to remember it. Now, as our passage goes on, you have that first verse where they want to remember this victory of God. Really, the rest of our passage is them remembering consequences of that victory. Other things that have been written in Scripture for them to remember that followed from this victory at Mizpah, the very first one here is, because of that victory, they have peace. Look at this in verses 13 and 14. So, the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. The victory at Mizpah and beyond is what led directly into the rest of this passage. You know that if you look at verse 13 because it starts, so, so the Philistines were subdued as a direct consequence of the victory God gave them at Mizpah. Now, we're going to see the Philistines again. The Philistines were not entirely vanquished at this point. They're going to be the primary enemies of the kings, Saul, and David. In fact, you know the great story of David fighting Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, so see they're still around. Saul is going to be killed by a Philistine on Mount Gilboa, so they were not vanquished. But what our text does say is that all the days of Samuel, they were subdued. I think what is meant here is all the days when Samuel was the chief judge governing the land. That will give way to Saul's kingship coming up soon, we'll see that. But before Saul becomes king especially, all these days of Samuel, God gave his people peace. That's why we'll see this next chapter. It's such an atrocious thing that they then turn around and ask God to give them a human king. What this passage is showing us is that without a human king, when only God was their king and Samuel governing them, everything was great. But still, they're going to ask for a human king. But, God gave them at this point, between Mizpah and monarchy, in this span of time, God gave them peace. And it's a double kind of peace. It was an external and an internal kind of peace in our passage. The external peace, verse 14, the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines had five major cities all toward the coast, but two of them were inland. Three were on the coast, two were inland. The two inland were Ekron and Gath in our passage. So for Israel to drive the Philistines to the coast and win back the territory from Ekron to Gath meant they were safe. They had won the borderland between Israel where they lived and their enemies, the Philistines. They owned that borderland. Now, if Philistia got strong and wanted to attack them, they would first have to go through the borderland now possessed by Israel. No surprise attacks here. It was like having a large wall. It's hard for us even to comprehend this, but the safety there to protect them right there from Ekron to Gath is a kind of external peace that they hadn't known for many years, two decades, where the Philistines had deeply oppressed them. They could rest their heads at night not wondering if a Philistine would show up and kill them and steal their family. It's an external peace. But verse 14 adds, there was also an internal peace. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. The Amorites were one of the many people groups who lived in Canaan before Israel even got there, but often in Scripture, as here, Amorite just becomes shorthand for any of the native Canaanites. You know that Joshua The people under Joshua were supposed to drive all the native Canaanites out of the land, but they didn't do it. So now, in Samuel's day, there are Canaanite settlements scattered all throughout Israel. They always existed as a kind of threat. They were Amorites, Canaanites there. They were a threat because they led to idolatry, but they could also be a military threat. So even if you had your borders secure, the enemy was within. You could be attacked anytime by the Amorites. What this passage says is the victory that happened at Mizpah was so great that it led not only to the safety of this border against the Philistines with them subdued on the coast, but even the native Canaanites, the Amorites, who lived among God's people, probably seeing the military might of Israel and their ascendancy, decided we're not going to mess with Israel. So there was internal peace, external peace with the Philistines, internal peace with the Amorites. As the Old Testament would often say, the land had rest. Have you experienced any peace as a Christian? I mean, any peace at all from the time you came to Christ to today? Any? Remember that. You need to remember the victory won on Calvary, but that's not all you need to remember. You need to remember, just like here we find in Scripture, they're remembering the great things that came out of the victory at Mizpah. You need to remember that Christ won you salvation, and that includes a kind of peace. That includes what Christ has won you, peace from your spiritual enemies. There are demons who want to undo you. You see the effects of that in your life as a Christian all the time, causing despair, leading to all kinds of crazy thoughts. I don't know all how it functions, but it's happening all the time. But Christ's victory is so great that you have a kind of peace from those enemies. They're not entirely vanquished, but they have been given a death blow The hand of the Lord is against them. That's what we can say. So now, at this point in your life, it's not like before. Satan once owned you in a real sense. You couldn't escape from him. But now that you've trusted in Christ, Satan has a lot of bark and not so much bite. Still makes a lot of noise. But we read in Scripture that what Christ did as a consequence of his victory at Calvary is he came to, quote, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to to lifelong slavery. Not to Philistines, but in a sense, to Satan, a kind of slavery to fear itself. So Satan used to, in your life, wave his large sword of death, and he had complete control. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. He'd get you to do whatever he wants. But now he still waves that large sword, and if you are a Christian, you look him square in the eyes, and you say, death, where's your sting? You can kill me right now and I go straight to heaven? That's a kind of peace that the world simply doesn't know. That's why Christianity has been a martyr religion, and happily so. Our rabbi taught us very radical things like this. Don't fear those who only kill the body and after that have nothing else that they can do. Nothing else that they can do. (laughs) seems like that's a lot to have done is to kill your body, but that's the way a Christian can think kill our body. That's fine. To depart and be with Christ is very much better. Do you have any of that kind of peace in the face of death? Remember, that all comes from the cross. You need to remember that. Maybe you have been thinking of death lately. Maybe that's what stirs in your mind when you lay upon your bed at night struggling to go to sleep. It's thoughts about death. You need to remember that Christ, when He died, came back alive, and you will too that death has lost its sting, that Christ has defeated that last of all our great enemies. There's a peace. There's a peace from our external enemies, spiritual foes. There's also this kind of internal peace, if I can compare it to the Amorites being at peace with them. There's an internal peace that Christians enjoy. You used to live in such a way that you were, quote, having no hope and without God in the world. It's not that way. And now you have a heavenly Father who has adopted you and who loves you deeply. But see, that doesn't help you unless you remember that. You have to remember that, that that is the case. It's just like someone has said, there are only three classes of people in the world today, those who are afraid, those who don't know enough to be afraid, and those who know their Bibles. Satan has been driven to the coast in a real sense and almost into the sea. God will soon crush him beneath her feet. Our enemies are at peace with us. Finally here, there's another consequence of Christ's victory, and it is stability. Look at this in verses 5 through 7, 15 through 17. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Even though Samuel's primary leadership over the land would soon fade and be replaced by Saul and then David's, even after that, Samuel still served a kind of judgeship. Maybe not as primary, but he still did, even into the reign of Saul. But again, during this period of time from Mizpah to the monarchy, this period of time... There was an incredible stability in the land, almost unknown in Israel in most other periods of its history, but it happened in that period of time. You see that in our text because Samuel, functioning as a judge, that means he's governing the people, he traveled around on a circuit throughout the land of Benjamin. He went to these various places. And there he judged the people. He settled disputes. He helped them know if they had questions about God's will, he would let them know the answers to those things. He made sacrifices to maintain their relationship with God. And it was a circuit. He did it year by year. There was a kind of maintenance here. It was a kind of stability in the land. With Samuel functioning as governor over everyone, you see the different places mentioned here, they're all in the land of Benjamin. And interestingly, they're all sacred sites. You know Mizpah already. That's where there was national renewal that we just saw. Just a few hundred years before the time of Jesus, we have some writings where someone refers to Mizpah, even then, that's a long time later, but refers to that place and says there used to be a place of prayer established there. So even about a thousand years or more afterward, still Mizpah was considered a sacred site where you met with God. So that's one of the places on his circuit. Another one is Bethel. Bethel, like I said, that's where Jacob had his dream. Saw God, said this is the house of God. So afterward, that became a sacred site where people would go to meet with God. Gilgal was another one of those sacred sites. This is the location when Israel first entered the land of promise to take it over. This is the very first place they camped. This is where the new generation of Israelites were circumcised. And this too is a place where We see sacrifices happening. We'll see it later in this book. This is where Saul will be made king at Gilgal. It's a sacred site. And then Samuel adds to these three, Ramah, his hometown. Ramathame, Zophim, we saw at the start of this book. Very shortly, Samuel's going to meet Saul for the first time right here in Ramah. And it's while Samuel's on his way to a high place in Ramah to sacrifice. So again, it's another sacred site. You can see that he built there an altar to the Lord. He he made it a sacred site, in a sense, confirmed it. And what we're finding here, like I said, is a kind of stability a stability of worship, a stability of governance. That's why asking for a king next chapter is a bad idea. God provided everything they needed. There was peace in the land, there was stability in the land. It might be worthwhile for you as a Christian to think, have you known any stability in your own life? Maybe times right now are so tumultuous, (laughs) so up and down, it seems like you're on a small boat in a large storm. It's important for you to look back and remember, have you experienced times of stability? I want you to know that the kind of stability you often experience as a Christian is not matched in the world. There's usually greater tumults of soul, less peace, less stability, outside of Christ than within Him, even with all the trials we experience. You need to remember the stability that God has brought into your life. You can remember this on a national level. You live in a country that is not perfect, and you know that. But you live in a country where if you study history, this is quite unusual. We have not had presidential assassinations, great upheavals, true government takeovers, where things have changed hands violently. We've not had a foreign nation come and take over our nation and kill many people that way. But I want you to know that throughout history, that was quite commonplace. Wars and rumors of wars, that's history. That's always been history. To live in this brief time of peace between the two great world wars, even the tensions of the Cold War and where we are now, where there are terrorist threats, but God has been very gracious. We can get so fixated if you watch the news on all the possible bad things that will happen that you forget to stop and remember the stability God's already given us. I'm preaching open, there's windows. We're not afraid of anybody persecuting us here. I'm preaching openly. You're hearing it openly. You've got 20 Bibles on your shelves. You've got study resources. You can go tell anybody you want about Jesus. It's your own fear. It's the only thing restraining you. I want you to know that's very strange. That is a kind of stability that God so kindly has given to us. When was the last time you remembered that? Instead of remembering all the bad things that could happen, you remembered the good that we have right now should raise an Ebenezer to that. But that really is a secondary application because our country won't last forever. There will be a day when someone can't get up in a pulpit and say, praise God for the stability in our nation because it won't be there anymore. But there will never be a day when a preacher can't say on the basis of Scripture, praise God for the stability you have in your primary citizenship, which is not as an American, but it is in the Jerusalem that is above A city that has foundations, whose builder, whose architect is God. A city that cannot be shaken. You have treasures stored up in heaven for you, and there is a stability you experience because of that. Not a perfect stability, but a real stability. If in your family, by God's work, there's any sense of stability in your marriage, that your spouse doesn't think you'll just peace out when things get hard. If by God's work there's any stability that your children experience in your family, where they know they can trust their parents, that there's a solidness there, those are things that God has done in your life. Those are evidences of the great victory He has won on Calvary. And of course, your ultimate hope comes from His victory. So has God won any victory in your life? Has God given you any peace in your life? Has God given you any stability in your life? If it doesn't feel like it, You need to obey this text and by God's help to remember all that He has done.